Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 14 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 6th of September 2009, entitled, Jesus Christ Our Lord, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 1 Peter, chapter 2. While you're turning there, I'll just say that, uh, again, we continue our series on contending for the faith. And of course, we have moved into that portion of this series, which we're contending for the faith, the fundamentals. Our message this morning will be the 14th in this uh, series. And of course, the, the first six, we're looking at the book of Jude how that we're taught to contend for this faith. How many of you remember? There is a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness on a foundation that's firm against a foe that's a fraud. And folks, we've got a battle on our hands. And of course, I, as we look back in the Sunday school time this morning and part of what Brother Steve was touching on there, was, of course, some of the battles that are going to be raging at the end of times at the Battle of Armageddon and all of this. And, of course, just keep in mind, folks, that before there can truly be peace, as God would have it on this earth, sin must be done away with. That's what's going to happen. Sin is going to be done away with in its entirety. And then and only then can we know the peace, the kind of earth, the kind of life that God would intend for us to have without sin's curse being a part of that. Of course, then as we moved into Sermon 7 through the last number 13, we began to look at the, what I'm simply calling the fundamentals of the faith, those things that we must contend for at all costs. Those things, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that we may have differences in uh, some teachings and some doctrines and things, but some of those things that though we may not feel comfortable with them, doesn't make them a heretic because they believe something different. But we said that there are certain essential beliefs that if someone is of the same faith that you and I are of, then we've got to be willing to stand upon those things no matter the cost, no matter what direction that everybody else goes. There are cardinal things that must not under any circumstances be compromised. And of course, part of our purpose is looking at those fundamentals that must be fought for, but we said at the same time that there are other things as we look at this, we'll be looking at the difference in some of the things. Some things are fundamental. People can't even be of the same faith. But there are some things that are extremely important to us as a local church that is vital that we be in agreement on that just because the other churches don't agree with us, they're not heretics, but it is very important if we are to be a unified body working together that we be in agreement on those things. We looked at three sermons on the inspired Word of God. And then in Sermon 11, we looked at 
the eternal existence and the triunity of our God. We looked at at our God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being one God, eternally existent from eternity past to eternity future. And then we began in Sermon 12 on this other fundamental speaking on Jesus Christ, our Lord. We looked at some of those things about the Lord Jesus Christ, and we moved into Sermon 13 on one of those fundamental things we must believe about him is his virgin birth. And this morning, God willing, we want to look at something else that, folks, there's no compromise on this. That's his vicarious death. And we'll look at what that means. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to First uh, Peter chapter 2. Now, I'm going to read to begin with verses 21 through 25. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy word as we begin in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Father, we thank you so much again this morning for this time that you've allowed us to come together. Lord, this is a time that is set aside for you, and it's so important, Lord. It's so easy to allow other things to, uh, to just crowd into our lives. But, Father, this is a time we want to magnify and praise you. We want, Lord, to, uh, to give you opportunity to speak to our hearts that, Lord, as we leave here today, we can leave a greater witness, a greater example of the Lord Jesus Christ than when we entered in. Father, we pray that to anyone in our midst this morning that, Lord, does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they've never experienced the new birth. They really don't know what it is to be made new. And Father, I pray that you would speak to their heart especially. The Father, this might even be the day that they would commit their lives to Jesus Christ and his finished work. Father, you know every Christian here this morning, the ones that are walking near, the ones that are walking afar off, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through the power of your Spirit in a way that would change each and every one of us, Lord, that the needs might be met, that we all might leave here more like our Savior, for it's in his name we pray, amen, amen. Well, if you were here for the last message in this series, we looked into God's Word and we saw clearly the the fundamental truth and the fundamental importance, if you would, of the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, we saw that it's cardinal. It's fundamental. You can't take it away and still have the same faith that we've been instructed to contend for. Now, there's a, an awful lot of extremely important things that we could 
minister about our Lord in his 33 and a half years as he walked upon this earth. And many of them are so important and they're, they would be life-changing to us. But what I want to do as far as these fundamentals is jump ahead now to the end of his life and talk about his death. It is a fundamental essential of our faith that we understand that his death wasn't just any death, but it was a vicarious death. In other words, his death was implicitly and explicitly for you and in your place. A lot of people have died in this world. And many of them have died martyrs and many of them, you know, that, that we would uphold for what they've been willing to sacrifice. But we must grasp that when Jesus Christ died upon the cross, it was more than just a martyr's death. It was more than just dying for you. That when he hung upon that cross, he hung there in your place. We find that many will acknowledge that Jesus Christ was born. They would acknowledge that he lived a model life, that he was an example for all to follow. Many would even acknowledge that he died a very cruel death upon a cross. Do you know that even many of the false religions of the world would go as far as to acknowledge that much. But folks, that's not enough for the faith in which you and I are to contend today. Sadly, there are even those that would bear the name Christian that would only hold to these partial truths. But I say to you that holding to those alone is not a system. It's not sufficient. It's not holding to the same faith that you and I would hold to, that we must stand for, that we must be willing to fight for. It is not enough that Jesus Christ was born, but that he was born a virgin birth, that he was born as God in the flesh. Not part of my notes, but I'm just reminded, Brother Steve, as you were teaching in the Bible study class this morning. And of course, as they look back into uh, Isaiah, and they were looking at the various names of God. And sometimes we see these things, and of course, as we look there, and sometimes they can get confusing. And one of the ones that was brought out was, was the fact that he was called the Eternal Father. And of course, the one right before that was he was called the Almighty God. Titus called him the Great God. We say, but Jesus wasn't God the Father. No, but as we look back at the, at the triunity of God, the truth is there is only one God. Allow those things not to confuse you, but to, to give you greater, greater concrete on the fact of the Bible itself so clearly teaches the triunity and yet one God. You can't separate God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and still have God. Jesus Christ. He was the almighty God, the great God. He was the everlasting father. And yes, we can look at it as an idiom, but it's much more than that because he was God eternally, always has been, 
And the only way that that could happen was for him to come into this earth, God in the flesh, through the virgin birth. It's not enough. Though he lived a good and the most exemplary life that's ever been lived. But folks, that he lived a sinless life, completely and perfectly fulfilling the laws of a holy God. It's not enough that he died on a cross, even that he died on that cross for you. But that his death was a vicarious death. That he died in your place for your sin, shedding his own blood as an atonement for your sin. You know, others can die for you. In fact, many have done so. As a veteran myself, I am well aware of the sacrifice that many have made that you and I might be right here in this place today. You know, I never had a desire to fight, Brother Russ. I certainly never had a desire to take another human being's life. I have no sympathy for those that would call themselves soldiers and aggressively seek to gain from others on that behalf. However, as a soldier, though having no desire to harm or to kill, a soldier must be willing to give his life if necessary if required, to fight for his family, for his friends, for his nation, and even sometimes for fellow peoples of this world that he's never met or laid eyes on before in his life, to fight for the lives and freedom of human beings. I volunteered in the forces not because I wanted to fight, not because I wanted to take anyone's life, but I volunteered knowing full well that I had to be willing to lay down my life if necessary for my family, for my friends. In my case, it was for a people in Southeast Asia that I never laid eyes on. But knowing full well, I believed those human beings had a right to live and a right to those freedoms. I was willing. And many, you know, I was fortunate. I was never called to the front lines. I was kept in a, in a support and a training capacity. So I never had to take that gun and take another human being's life. Thank God. That wasn't why I was there. I was there to do my part in that battle. But folks, I'm saying to you, I can look you straight in the eyes this morning that there are many that have, even right now as we sit here this morning, that are willing to, and some of them giving their lives so that you can sit there, so that you can live, so that you can enjoy those freedoms. Others have died for you. But we find that it's different because Jesus not only died for you, he died in your place. He died as a substitute for a death that you and I fully deserved. He 
See, what we call the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, folks, it is at the very heart of the gospel. Without it, would you hear me clearly? Without it, our faith is worthless, and it's only another religion of the many that are out there. It's been said that religion is man reaching up to God, whereas Christianity is God reaching down to man. You see, no matter how hard man tries, and there are many religions out there that have the best of intentions, and people are genuine, and people are sincere in trying to reach to God. But man will always come up short. Religion, no matter how good it may be, it'll never be quite enough. Man will always fail. But you know, God cannot fail. His plan of redemption is sufficient for all who will receive it. God asked us a rhetorical question, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 2 when he asked, is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? And boy, he goes on to show Israel just how silly such a thought really is by reminding them of all that he has done for them. He goes on to show us in Isaiah chapter 59, 1, a statement is made. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. You see, when God reaches down to man, he never comes up short. We are the ones that come up short. We're the ones that can accept or reject. Folks, it's not because it wasn't enough of our God in his reaching down. Let me put it very simply to you this morning. Why this, what we call vicarious death of Christ, is fundamentally essential to our faith. Why that it is at the very heart of the gospel. Why it must be contended for, it must be fought for at all cost. And I say to you, this is not rocket science. It's, a matter of fact, just about as simple as it gets. There is no excuse for any true believer not to grasp the importance of this great doctrine. And if you're here this morning and you're saved and you've been saved for any length of time, you ought to be able with simplicity to at least go to the book of Romans and take somebody through that Romans road and show them what God has done for you and what God will do for them. And even there in the simplicity of the way that probably more have shared their faith, we see the fundamental essentialness of this doctrine. You see, it's fundamentally essential because, first of all, of the sin committed. Romans chapter 3. Again, there probably is nowhere in the Bible that God more graphically describes to us the condition of the unbeliever. Look with me as he says there in verse 9. He says, what then? Are we better than they? 
No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now this is interesting as we, as we read through here. Nobody's righteous, not one individual. It's very interesting when we look that nobody understands. Well, the Bible tells us clearly. It's impossible for the physical man to understand spiritual things. There's none that seeketh after God. Many would have the idea, well, I'll get things sorted with God in time, in my time. I'll do it next week or next year or next month. Well, I say to you this morning, folks, that you will never do it of the flesh of your own accord. It's by God's grace and by the power of his spirit that he speaks through his word. Only the Holy Spirit can bring conviction to your soul and show you that you're lost. Nobody can come to God on their grounds when they're ready, when they want to. Jesus said, unless the Father draweth, no man comes. Now, you know, we're not faithless. We believe, and I say clearly, that the atonement when Jesus Christ shed his blood upon the cross, that it was not limited to a few, that it was sufficient for the sins of the whole world as the word of God teaches us. But folks, you can take no credit for your salvation or anybody else's. It is God alone. It is by his grace. It is his word. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You can tell all the sob stories that you want to. It's God's word that will bring a person to the point of having the faith to believe. It's only by God's spirit that that word can be applied to the heart, that it can be made alive, that that conviction can come. One of the things that I challenge are, especially those that work with the young people around here, time and time again, you know, you can get a little child to, to say a prayer, to, to say these words, to do these things, to please you, to say they want to be a Christian. But folks, that doesn't make them a Christian. No prayer has ever saved anybody. We find that many times, I, I don't say it to be critical. I, I know there's some there, and I know that people have been saved. Them. I, I prefer tracts that don't have the prayer printed on there to where you, you know, pray after me, these words. I'd rather say pray from your own heart. Because I believe that what comes from the heart is what's going to save you, not the words that are leaving the mouth. We find that it's essential that unless God, by his grace, through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, allows you to see your lost condition and what Jesus Christ has done for you, you will never in your flesh have a desire to come to God. That's exactly what he's talking about. There is none that seeketh after God. Not in their flesh, not without the Spirit's intervention. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now remember, he's describing a lost person, a person without God. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, listen, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world 
may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, but by the law is the knowledge of sin. Man can't do enough. Even when it's God's law, we're talking about all of the religions trying to reach God. The truth is, even if you've got the Bible, even if you've got God's law, but in yourself, you're trying to reach God, it will never happen. God reaches down to you. You can't get enough right. The truth is, even if you began living absolutely perfect today, you're already so far in debt you'd never get out anyway. All the sins that have already been committed, what about them? Find that he says down in verse 23, or what's the next word in your Bible? All. All have sinned and come short of what? of the glory of God. No matter how we compare to everybody else, every other human being that's ever lived, all have sinned. All are in the condition that he just described. All come short of the glory of God. No matter what this church expects of you, what anybody expects of you, it's God's glory. We miss the mark. So we find that this doctrine of the vicarious death of Jesus Christ is fundamentally essential because of, first of all, the sin that's been committed. We are all guilty before God. There is absolutely no exception. Guilty as charged, the judge says. We find that it is fundamentally essential not only because of the sin committed, but because of the sentence imposed. Just a few pages over, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Guilty is charged. Then the judge passes sentence. The sentence that's been imposed for sin is death. Just as surely as all have been found guilty, sentence has been passed, folks. The trial is over as far as that's concerned. There is no question as what the penalty for sin is. Judgment has been passed, the sentence imposed, there is no more arguing, there's no plea bargaining, there's no appeals to be made, there's no parole from the death penalty. The sentence has been imposed and it must be fulfilled. No exceptions. The only payment for your sin is death. You see, sin can only lead to that one end. Sin brings death. And life and death do not coexist together. You're either alive or you're dead this morning. You're not both. I know sometimes we can be alive and maybe appear to be dead, <laughs> but you're one or the other. Sin takes us in one direction. If we are all guilty of sin, and sin can only lead to death, what can be done? About the sin. You see, Paul also tells us when he was writing to the Romans that, that it was when sin entered in that what came with it? Death. Death. Death doesn't exist without sin. We find that it's the sin problem that must be dealt with. If we're guilty of sin and sin can only lead to death, look at the remainder of the verse. 
not only says for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Wow, we got a problem. Sin has been committed by every one of us. And sentence has already been imposed for that sin, which is death. There's no way of getting around it. We're guilty. And the only payment for it is death. But he says there's a gift of God. How can we deal with the sin that we can have the last half of that verse instead of the first half, that we can experience that gift? Well, again, in the Romans Road, you'd probably take them to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, there's a sin problem. And the sentence for that sin is death. God wants to give us eternal life. How do we deal with it? Well, God loved us so much. that While we're in that sin, with the death sentence on us, Jesus Christ died for us. We find that that is one of the first and most important things that an individual must come to recognize after seeing themselves as a sinner. We find that sin committed, the sentence imposed, but also because of the sacrifice that is required. You see, why is the vicarious death of Jesus Christ so fundamental? Well, look at me in, or look with me in Romans chapter 5. Notice what it says, verse 9, it says, Much more than being now justified by his what? Blood. We shall be saved from the wrath. How? Through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. It wasn't just any death that he died. He didn't just lie down and die in his sleep or something. I want you to realize it was, folks, the shedding of his blood in that death that atones for our sins and allows us to be justified before God. Look back, if you would, into Romans chapter 3 again. And notice where we left off after verse 20. Notice what it says in verse 21. It begins, but now. <laughs> but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past 
through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Justification. He says here, being justified freely by his grace. It's only by God's grace. Through what? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That redemption is there in Christ because he was set forth, the Bible teaches us here, to be the propitiatory sacrifice. And folks, that means that God wasn't just appeased. He wasn't just placited in some way. But when he, when Jesus Christ went to be the propitiation for our sins, the blood of Christ met all the requirements of a holy God. His holy law, they were all met in full. That's why he says that he can righteously show mercy and remit our sins. That's why that we can stand justified before him. It's through faith in that blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That blood sacrifice that he's put, that satisfied every requirement of God, that's our access to the redemption. We're justified not by what we do, but by our faith in what Jesus Christ has already done. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 9, notice there's so much that could be read from here, but notice just picking up in, in verse 22, he says, And almost all things are by the law purged with what? Blood. And without shedding of blood, is no remission. It was therefore necessary, the Bible says, that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with what? With better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Well, then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Everybody's guilty. All are guilty. Judgment has been passed. The sentence has been imposed. Death is the only possible result. The sacrifice required to deal with that sin, the Bible says so clearly here, is the shedding of blood. Without shedding of blood is no remission. Now notice here, he's using the illustration of the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And he's saying, you know, it was therefore necessary that 
the patterns of things, those, those types that were being given, that even in there, that blood had to be used. But the heavenly things themselves needed a better sacrifice. And he goes on to tell us that Christ hasn't entered into the holy place made with hands with man, but he's entered into heaven itself for you and for I. It wasn't something that like in the Old Testament where the, the sacrifice had to be offered over and over and over again. But that one time, one time he offered himself. One time he gave that sacrifice for each and every one of us. Verse 26, the last part says, But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now once in the end of the world. You know, folks, we live in what we often refer to as the dispensation of grace. Before this world with all its sin is destroyed and God's kingdom is set up here on earth, the Bible says, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You know, this 2,000 years seems like a long time to us since Jesus hung upon that cross. But to an eternal God, do you know what 2,000 years is? <laughs> Not even the blink of an eye. Not even the blink of an eye. People say, oh, we don't believe you Christians anymore. You've been talking about being the end time and the end days for all. Everybody's believed that. Right back to the apostles' time, yes. And it is. It is the last days. It is the end time. I do believe with all my heart, with everything that God teaches us, that the trumpet could sound before we leave this place today. I don't know when it is. Jesus said only the Father knows that. But the truth is, we are in the end times. We find that this dispensation, these end times that you and I live in, was ushered in by Jesus Christ himself, sacrificing himself upon that cross why? So that your sin will be put away. It'll come to an end when Jesus Christ himself returns and he comes to set up his kingdom here upon the earth and to rule and reign for that thousand years. At the close of the kingdom age, we'll see the complete fulfillment of verse 27 when it says, and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. I hope your judgment is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. But if not, at the end of that thousand reigns, it'll be at the great white throne of judgment before God. We find that every, every unbeliever will be at the great white throne. There will be a final putting away of sin for all time. Then, the Bible says, <laughs> then all tears will be wiped away. Then, the Bible says, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Folks, a new heaven and a new earth with no sin. Sin cannot be overlooked in any way. How many times have you heard me say it? If God let you, the most moral, the greatest, kindest, loving person that's ever lived, but he let you into heaven and he let you in with that one little measly, miserly sin that you committed back when you were six years old, heaven would be destroyed. It would no longer exist. Because sin with it would bring death. It would bring the same curse of sin that's been brought to this 
world that you and I live in now. Verse 28, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. So important, folks. Once again, it's speaking of Christ being once offered. And when he was once offered on Calvary, it was to bear the sins of many. Now, again, that's saying a whole lot more than just dying for you. Matter of fact, he's talking about dying in your place. You know that if you look through Scripture, you find this term used in different places in the Old Testament. And to bear sins, to bear iniquities, was always to be punished for them. It was always when you bore those sins, you were bearing the punishment that came with them. Christ was bearing the punishment, the penalty, the sentence that had been imposed upon you, upon me, in our place. He alone, the sinless one, the spotless one, only he could be the propitiatory sacrifice that would meet the requirements of our holy and righteous God. He met the requirements. Once for all, he made that sacrifice for all who would accept it. You see, Jesus Christ, our Lord, he did die for you. He shed his blood for you. But friend, he didn't just die for you. He died in your place so that you wouldn't have to. We see in the last part of verse 28, it says, And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We find that, as we look, we find that, again, the sin has been committed, that sin that makes us guilty, the sentence that's been imposed as the results of that, and, of course, the sacrifice that is required. The hope that we have is by placing our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ that he might appear that second time that we finally will know what it's like to be without sin. You see, the sin that was imposed, the sacrifice that was required, no other sacrifice would do. We find that also that as we look, I want to give you a, a fourth one. Sin committed, the sentence imposed, the sacrifice required, but it's fundamental because of the substitute that was given. You see, as we look back into our text in, in 1 Peter, we find that in context as we look here, Notice what it says backing up in verse 18. Service be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy if a man of conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. You see, 
in context, these verses are being given to us to show Christ as an example for being willing to suffer patiently in this life. To suffer patiently when no wrongdoing on your part has been done. To still be patient with your boss when he's not being very nice to you. To be still patient with them when maybe even you're being accused of something that you didn't do. He's using Christ and what he did upon the cross as an example. Why was he being able to use? Because of that vicarious death that he was dying. When he died in your place, we find that we committed the sin. We were the ones that were guilty for the wrongdoing against God. But he died as a substitute in our place, taking the punishment for our sin. We find that this is why that we find here that he's giving us this illustration in verses 21 through 23. We find that he says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. We find that, you know, that he never committed a sin. There was nothing deceitful about him whatsoever. Who, When he was reviled, reviled not again. With all the accusations that were coming, he didn't try to talk back and stand up for himself. When he suffered, he didn't threaten to do anything back to them, but he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. He committed himself into his Father's hands. Notice he says in verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Christ took upon himself our sins in his own body when he hung upon the cross. He hung there as our substitute in our place, the only suitable sacrifice that would satisfy our holy God for all believers for all time. His sacrifice was sufficient for the sins of the whole world, but it's applied only to those who believe and put their faith in that finished work. He says that we being dead to sins, that's the miracle of substitutionary atonement. Because of Jesus Christ being our substitute as believers, we therefore being in Christ, our penalty was paid as we died to our sins right there on the cross with Jesus Christ. God sees us in Christ. We can either be seen in ourselves and pay for our own sins, or can we be seen in Jesus Christ? He says that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness. Huh. Aren't you glad that he didn't just die on the cross? But our next message will be he was raised victoriously. We didn't just die on the cross. But even as we go through the waters of baptism and that formula, we talk about being raised in, in newness of life. You know, that, that's only made possible because of the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ, because that sin was dealt with conclusively. Death was its result. He died. We died to that sin with him that we might live righteously. You know, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. 
Our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. We have the gift of eternal life with death never, ever threatening us again. We should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You know, through the sufferings of Christ on the cross, every believer was healed spiritually from the deadliest of all diseases, that disease of sin. Though God is quite capable of healing any of our physical diseases, and we know that he does, there's coming a day when he's promised us a glorified body. Physical sickness, pain, and death will be no more. Why? Because there will be no more sin in these bodies to bring about the consequences of sin. By his stripes, ye are healed. Thank God that we can look forward to that day when, when that healing will be complete in each and every one of us. As for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of, our, of your souls. We can say a lot, but in closing, all of us, like sheep going astray, because of our sin, separated from God, worthy of death. But through repentance and faith, we can change direction. We can return to the shepherd and bishop of our souls. God uses those terms in Scripture many times of speaking of the earthly pastors and overseers of the church. That they're there to, to feed and protect and to lead his people as under shepherds. But folks, there's no man, there's no organization that can care for your soul like God himself. Jehovah God, God the Almighty. God is indescribable triunity. The one you've been separated from by your sin, but to whom you may be returned by way of repentance through faith. Jesus Christ our Lord, completely God, for whom we can be complete in Him through a conversion that is complete in the gospel, that's completed by His work on Calvary. His virgin birth, God coming in the flesh to live the life that no human could live, to fulfill and satisfy the law of God as no one else could. His vicarious death, only because of his sinless life, his sinless entry into this world, only because of that spotless life that he lived, could he offer himself to die for you, to die for your sins to die in your place as your substitute, that the consequences and the penalty of sin could be dealt with completely and satisfactorily, that a holy God could treat you mercifully and graciously and give to you the gift of eternal life. Folks, these things are not debatable. They're fundamental to the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, for which you and I are to contend for today. They are essential to the faith. And without them, you're simply left with something less than what is required by God. To compromise these matters is not to do anyone a favor, rather to take away any hope that they may have for now and for all of eternity. Where is our hope 
resting today. Jesus Christ, the only one that could, God in the flesh, dying in your place as your substitute, dealing with the death that was your sentence today. Have you put your faith and trust in that finished work? You gone, God, and asked forgiveness, not because of religion, because of the church, because of anything else, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. You know, nobody can do that for you. Some of the best meaning and maybe most sincere religious people in this world will never spend eternity in heaven. They'll spend an eternity in hell. Why? Because sincerity in a religion, in an organization, in anything is not sufficient. Jesus Christ had to die as your substitute. and You must accept that personally in your life. And if you will, God wants more than anything to world. He wants your sins to be dealt with. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life that from now on you'll never have to worry about the consequences of sin in your life. Father, we thank you this morning for the time you've given us together. Thank you, Lord, as we've tried to briefly and quickly Look through these scriptures at the importance of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, not just as a martyr, not just as an example, not as the great things that he did, not even just dying for us. Father, his dying in our place as our substitute to take completely upon himself the penalty for our sins, to bear those sins in his body to die the death that we deserved so that we could have the gift of eternal life. I pray for each one here this morning, Father, that if there are those here that need that life, that you would deal with them through the power of your Spirit. Father, if there's a Christian here that has a need in any way, then I pray that you would meet that need through Jesus Christ this day. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.